morning. Uh, today we're going to continue in the series on Philippians, um, but before we do that, let's just pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we, we come before you this morning and we recognise that it's you we applaud and you we praise. And uh, open our hearts today, open our hearts to, to hear what you have to say to us, open our minds to our hearts to see you, God. We just ask this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. How good are mums, I ask you. My mum is a very gracious woman. And I remember uh, as I was growing up that my mum was even gracious when it came to watching her children you know, watch their footy team you know, on, the, on the TV. My mum goes for Melbourne. Uh, my sister goes for Hawthorne. The three boys, they go for Essendon, and so does my dad. My mum's so gracious that when her team is playing Essendon, when Melbourne's playing Essendon, and Melbourne starts winning, she stops going for her team. And she starts going for her boys' team because she knows that it's only a matter of time before one of her kids starts crying, <laughs> sobbing, uncontrollably. How gracious is that? She forgets her own team, Melbourne, and starts going for the opposition to comfort her sobbing 28-year-old son. No mother likes to see their children cry. So she will draw along us in our sorrow and support Essendon. It was my son or daughter, and they went for Melbourne, and Essendon was whipping them. I wouldn't stop until they started crying. No, of course not. Of course not. It didn't happen. Mums are great though, aren't they? And they are really generally gracious and very supporting of their kids. Well, God is gracious too. God's very gracious. God's so gracious that even though the people he creates to live in a relationship with him, even though we reject him, he finds a way of having a relationship with us. He finds a way of bringing us back to him. And you know, every person, every person, even if you don't believe in Jesus, you still have a vague understanding that you've got to be good to get to heaven. Most people kind of agree with that. But most people don't realise how good you have to be. You know, in a nutshell, the standard to, be, to get to heaven or to be in a relationship with God is holiness. And holiness is this word that we sing about quite a lot, but it's being completely set apart for God, for his purposes. And imagine this scale. Here's the bottom rung. This is the... The worst person in the world, just kind of there. And the best person in the world without Jesus, you know, that kind of, you know, does lots of good things, uh, you know, that kind of, you know, loves other people, doesn't kill anybody, they're kind of like there. But God's standard to being in a relationship with him is the ceiling. That's kind of God's standard. That's what you've got to be to be in a relationship with God. That's perfect holiness, is the ceiling. But God is so gracious 
that he makes us holy, completely, perfectly set apart for him, you know, the ceiling, by believing in Jesus. And we can have a relationship with him by believing in Jesus. So God's word assures us that if you believe in Jesus, you're holy. You are made perfect. You're acceptable to God. How gracious is God? How gracious is that? I want to put to us today, though, something else, a little but. It's that our job is not yet done. We have received the most amazing thing ever, salvation, freedom from guilt and shame, a relationship with God. It's pretty amazing. But this is not the end for us. It's really just the beginning. I'm going to ask a lovely mother to come forward now and do a reading for us, Del. They'll probably that would be great. The reading is from Philippians chapter 2 and it's headed Shining as Stars. Don't you like that? I think that's great. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in the crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour for nothing but even as I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith I am glad and rejoice with all of you so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Thanks very much, Dale. Well, we've been saved. You know, we're made holy and perfect in the sight of God, but that's not the end because what we're talking about today, what um, Paul is challenging the Philippians is there's a need to kind of change. Paul says in verse 12, and if you've got your Bibles, it'd be great to follow along or follow on the screen up here. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I think that we face a great temptation as Christians to become complacent with where we are at in our Christian faith. I think you know, in this temptation of complacency is that what happens is we come to believe in Jesus, you know, we're set free from sin and shame, but then after a while we stop wanting to change. We kind of stop changing anymore. And some of us can, or you know, personally myself, we can sit back and it seems like we, take, we can take our salvation for granted. But Paul says, therefore, my dear friends, beloved, continue to work out your salvation. The challenge, to continue. Paul is saying, 
continue to try and get your head you know, around what it really means, salvation. Try your hardest to understand what it means to be saved, to be made holy in God's sight. And it's seeking to get your head around it, not just for the sake of understanding, but it's that your character might change as a result. And it's obvious, but I'll say it anyway. When Paul says, continue to work out your salvation, he's saying directly that they haven't fully worked it out. Yeah, he's saying there's room for you to change, room for you to grow, room for you to become set apart for God's work. Or put another way, there is a gap between our status before God, which is holy and perfect, which is how he sees us, and our personal practice before God. The gap between our status and our practice. Next month, I will have been married to Michelle, my lovely wife, for two whole years. And I've really loved the last two years of being married to her. And I want to put myself forward as being the most domesticated, loving, caring, honest, and faithful husband there is. But let's say, just for the point of the exercise, <laughs> that I am not. Let's say, for the purpose, just of the for the illustration, okay, that I come home from work and I don't want to do anything at home. I come home from work and I sloth down on the couch and I go, Michelle, can you get me a cup of tea? Can you pass me the remote to the TV? Let's say I couldn't be bothered paying those bills that I said I would. Or I couldn't be bothered putting the bins out or cleaning up after myself ever. I like the idea of it. <laughs> the reality is that I'm still married to Michelle. Okay? Our marriage might be less than perfect, slightly dysfunctional. But my status, my status is married. My practice, which is what I'm really doing, is lazy, self-absorbed, and really needs to change. My practice needs to move up to the level of my marriage state. So I find that every day should be an opportunity for me to work, work towards being more loving and more supportive, a more supportive husband, working towards that ideal of the perfect marriage state. When God looks at us, through Jesus, our status is perfect, is holy. Sinless children that he can love and relate to without exception. Our salvation status. The other reality is our practice, which is far from perfect. Kind of more like here. And it's this practice, you know, our full slip-ups and and we need to strive to move our status up to the level, uh, move our practice up to the level of our status. And Philippians 3.16 says, a bit later on in the book, it says, or in another way, it says this, it says, let us live up to what we have already attained. Let us live up to what we have already attained. That's the challenge. And it's very encouraging on one hand and very challenging on the other. 
Because Paul is saying, as a Christian, you're saved. I'm saved. We're holy if we believe in Jesus. You have been set free from guilt and shame. Don't fall over water. And you are, chi- you are God's child. In Jesus, it's, it's like we've hit the mark. We're kind of perfected and we can have this relationship with God. But he's also saying that our practice, you know, how we're really living life, our character, our mind, our thoughts, our actions, they need a change. They need to be brought up to our status. So Paul says, continue to work out your salvation. Well, that being the case, that we need a change to bring our practice up to the level of our status, how do we do it? That's got to be our question. What motivation can we use um, you know, to make these necessary changes? How can we inspire ourselves to actually make this change? Because let's face it, there's a lot of motivations that won't work, that don't work. Well, it's Mother's Day, so let me talk about my mum again. A little devotion to my mother. My mum tends to run around the house. I mean, literally run around the house. Not kind of just walk around quickly. And she does lots of different things. She just, I think she wants to maximise the day, you know. And she really needs to slow down a bit or she's going to do herself an injury. But simply telling her, mum, slow down. It's, it's never worked, and it hasn't been a good enough motivation for her to kind of change. She needs a stronger motivation. Well, one day, uh, she was doing some washing, and the trough had something in it, and the water was filling up and overflowed, kind of spilled out over the tiles in the laundry, and then spread out up the tiled hallway and kind of into the kitchen a little bit. And, um, and Mum was in another room in the house, and the phone rang. And she goes, oh, maybe someone else will get it. No, I better get it. So sure enough, runs to get the phone. Phone's in the kitchen on the other side of this hallway filled with water, maybe three or four mil deep. And she ran around the corner and she's bolting up this tiled hallway. And before she she knows it, she's kind of like, you know, the cartoons, they're kind of slipping everywhere. and, And she, you know, you can imagine her feet kind of flipping up and her kind of, body being parallel to the ground. Somewhere in midair, she twists around and lands on the concrete tiled floor on her forehead. And I didn't hear it, but my brother said it was a loud crack on the floor. And it was like a cartoon, I kid you not. There was a cricket ball that formed on her forehead in a matter of seconds, like a great big red cricket ball. And in a, in a couple of hours, that bruising from the cricket ball moved into her eyes as well. So she was kind of wearing these amazingly big purple shiners that looked like someone had hit her in the head. And that wouldn't have been bad enough, but the, unfortunately the next day she couldn't hide because it was my 21st birthday. <laughs> and she was like, you know, like some more salad. <laughs> you know, and people are kind of, you know... They thought she'd been involved in a pub brawl, I think. 
She's quite built solid and tattoos and that kind of thing. <laughs> no, not at all. What motivates my mum to change running around the house is not words. What she needs to be motivated by is something stronger. Maybe the pain, <laughs> you know, or the humiliation. What should motivate us to change? You know, our change, our practice, move it up to the level of our status. Well, the second half of verse 12 and 13 reads, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. When we read fear and trembling, we should not think about being scared or frightened of an angry God. Because in Jesus, there is no longer any place for being frightened. Because in Jesus, uh, we can boldly approach God's throne. To fear God is to respect God. And it's with a respect that is equal to God's character. In this verse, Paul is saying, think about the fact that it is God who has given you salvation. Not someone small. It's God who is presently at work in you to will and to act. God. The motivation to change is this. Catch a glimpse of the splendor of God. How big and amazing and holy our God is. And understand how much has been done to, to bring us from this place here to there. And be inspired to change. We need to recognize the depth of God's grace toward us in Jesus. You know, the depth that he's taken us to, the, to be holy and perfect. We need to really think about that and be inspired to change. There's a song um, by Mercy Me called I Can Only Imagine and I want to read a little bit of it out. And I think it's this guy who's trying to get his head around how big and amazing God is. He's thinking about when he gets there to be with God. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine... You know, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you, be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing Alleluia, or will I be able to speak at all? Paul is saying, if we know God's character, and his grace toward us to make us holy, that will motivate us to change. The other important fact, though, to recognize in this verse is that we are not left alone purely on our own devices to change, to be more set apart for God. Verse 13 reads, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. There's a great partnership going on here between us and God. God gives us his spirit 
to help us live more for him, to change, to become more and more set apart for God. And Acts 2.28 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Every believer, every believer has been given God's Holy Spirit to help us live more for God. It's a present reality. I know lots of people who think that, oh, they haven't got, you know, they're kind of, they believe in Jesus, you know, they put their trust in Jesus, but they just feel unworthy. They feel like God still can't love them. But it's a promise. It's in God's Word. It says, you've been given the Spirit. It's amazing. God's Spirit living in us to help us out. The challenge so has been put to us by Paul. There is a need for us to change because we need to bring our practice up to the level of our status before God. And the motivation that will enable this is catch another glimpse of God's amazing grace towards us. That grace that makes us holy before him. Well, and if that's the need, if there's a need, if we know there's a need for change, we know there's a motivation for change, what about the result? What about the result of this change? Let's keep on reading Philippians. Verse 14 to 16 reads, Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars as you hold out the word of life. This change has an amazing result, shining like stars. Now, for the area of practice that Paul is challenging them on relates to complaining and arguing. And for the majority of people in our world, and I'm sure you'll agree, complaining and arguing, it's a daily occurrence. And even as Christians, we can sometimes, or a lot of times, end up in the position of complaining and arguing about something. Passing, you know, our perfect judgment on something, concluding we are right and telling other people about it. And an example of complaining and arguing can be seen in gossiping or talking behind people's back. Um, a good friend of mine is at a workplace where gossiping and backstabbing is a daily occurrence. And there's one particular person who is exceptionally good at it. Always complaining about other people, other staff, when they are not around or sometimes when they are around. No person is exempt from this treatment of being complained about. You know, it's got to the point that other staff who themselves are being complained about are backstabbed, join in on the conversation, backstabbing other people with a chief offender. The culture and atmosphere at this workplace, as you could possibly imagine, is a horrible place. You know, and although my friend loves the content of the job, my friend hates the atmosphere, and working there is really hard. So Paul says to us, do everything without complaining or arguing. And if complaining or arguing is the wrong practice, the right practice is what we hear um, before our passage today, the start of, verse, uh, start of chapter 2. It says we are to imitate the humility of Jesus Christ, who although he was God, he humbled himself, humbled himself to death, 
There's an example for us to follow. Paul says the result of your complaining, of you not complaining and not arguing, is that we will stand out in the crowd. You know, people will see that we are different. You know, and the word for this, the stand out, is this holiness again. You know, when your practice becomes holy, set apart for God's purpose, you stand out. Now, my friend who works with the backstabbers has had several comments from other staff about the fact that she stands out because she doesn't backstab. She doesn't get involved, but she sticks up for those being complained about. The image that Paul uses here for us, this standing out in the crowd, is the image of stars shining in the dark night sky. And you've seen the simulation up there after each kind of verse, it's all beautiful, stars shining in the night sky. When we are set apart for God's work, the more we bring our practice up to the level of our status, the more we'll stand out for God and the brighter we will shine. But please note that Paul says, in which you shine. The encouragement for the Philippians is that they are already shining for Christ. But Paul wants them to shine brighter. And the challenge is ours for today. As believers, we are shining to some degree. The level of sparkle depends on what degree our practice is brought up to our level of our status as believers. So the next time you're out at night and you're gazing up at the night sky and you're admiring that the stars in the sky and how beautiful they are, and you see a really sparkly one, you, know, you remind yourself that that's what I'm supposed to do as a believer in Jesus, as a follower of Jesus. Some stars are really faint, you know, but some are really bright, like the southern pointer. You, know, you can always see it sparkling really bright. And if you want a brightness to really strive for, that really brings light, why don't you try and shine like the sun? Because that's a star as well. But there's something we've got to add to the practice of being holy. If we really want to shine brighter, and that is to hold out the word of life. Verse 14 to 16 reads, Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars as you hold out the word of life. Paul is saying that shining for Jesus in this world requires the Christian to be holy, to be set apart, and also to hold out the word of life. What is the word of life, you ask? The word of life is the good news offered in Jesus Christ. The good news that anyone who believes in Jesus can receive the status of holy, perfect before God, and can enter into a relationship with a loving, powerful, holy creator, of the universe. There's an old saint guy called Francis of Assisi and he's been quoted to have said, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Preach the gospel, I'll read it again, at all times and if necessary, use words. He's implying that gospel proclamation, telling people about the good news, is all about your actions and not about what you speak to people about Jesus. 
And of course, there's a little warning, you know, have a character that kind of, you know, equates to your words. But the Christian is not just called to shine with character alone. We must speak out the good news of Jesus. So Romans 10.14 reads, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? This means that as followers of Jesus, we need to be able to articulate, to speak out what our faith is. You know, so that we can hold out the word of life and shine. Let me be a touch cheeky here. If you are unsure of how to articulate your faith as a Christian, as a, as a believer in Jesus, I want to give you a little homework. Your homework is to find a way of doing it. Find a way that you can simply communicate the gospel, tell people about Jesus, and then remember it so, you're com- and so that yeah, you get to the point where you're comfortable that when the time is right, you can say it. God's got some amazing things, hasn't he, in his word for us in the Bible. And today we've kind of read about three from Philippians. The first one is that we need to continue to work out our salvation, to bring our practice up to the level of our status as believers. And two, that the motivation for this is to recognize what it really means to have the status of saved and brought into God's presence. We need to catch another glimpse of the glory of God, of his grace toward us. And three, to understand that we need to shine brighter for God on his earth. And we do this by being set apart for God, more holy, and we do it by proclaiming the good news to people. Well, I've only been here for around three months, but I'm continually amazed at how kind of spread out we as a church are in our local community, kind of Aubrey-Wodonga and Beechworth and Yakananda and, you know, lots of different places. Baldale, it's another place. And we're spread out there, you know, and, and I think of the different people our church is in contact with. You know, I think about friendship groups that you have, that I have. I think about sporting clubs that we're involved in, associations of different people, the workplaces that we operate in, the schools that we attend or teach at, universities, and the list goes on. You know, we're already shining, but imagine the influence we could have on God's kingdom or for God's kingdom if we start to shine brighter. Let's live up to what we have already attained in Jesus. Let's be set apart. Let's be holy for God. Let's speak out the good news to a broken world. And in so doing, shine brighter for God's glory and for the salvation of souls. Let's pray.